You're listening to The Optical Entrepreneur, brought to you by Optical Success Academy and Seiko. Jason Kirk is the co-founder of Kirk & Kirk, a unique line of eyewear designed to inspire those who wear them. Their designs have been nominated for prominent design awards, widely written about in the media. They're sold in over 30 countries worldwide, and they're often seen on the red carpet and in popular TV series. Jason, along with his wife, Karen Kirk, have been involved in all aspects of optics, internationally, on the design and wholesale side, branding, marketing, opening and running retail stores, and generally pushing the optical industry forward in every way he can. This is Connor. Welcome to another episode of The Optical Entrepreneur. You're in for a real treat today. Jason was a big influence on me and my journey, and I'm delighted to have him on the show. All right, so uh, thank you very much for joining us, Jason. As I was just saying, you're the first eyewear expert that we've had on the show. It's mainly been kind of outside industries, but uh, really looking forward to having an in-depth discussion with you about all aspects of, of eyewear. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So thanks for being here. Um, we're honored. And I, I'm sure you remember, but I think we first met, well, we met, it was 20-odd years ago, 2004, in Paris at Silmo. I was there with Tarek at the time, my business partner. We were just about to open scene. We hadn't even we hadn't even got a location at that point, but we'd figured out, okay, maybe we could differentiate ourselves by doing something interesting with eyewear. Heard about this trade show and off we went, completely clueless. And and I think it was my memory possibly a bit foggy, but I think it was we spoke we somehow stumbled across Richard Wilhelm at Salt, one of the founders of Salt at the time. And he said, we were like, who should we, you know, what should we look at? And he said, make sure you go and speak to Jason Kirk. And then you spent some time with us and introduced us to the people at Anna Valentin. I think you maybe introduced us to Shane Baum and, and what he was doing with Paul Frank. So you just really, it felt like you took us under our wing, you, your wing. You were super passionate and you were just really patient with us, considering <laughs> the fact we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't even have a, have a shop. Um so where, where did that passion come from, from for you? How did, how did you end up being so enthused and so passionate about what you do today? Well, first of all, I have to compliment you and Tarek on, on who you were then and what you were trying to do and, and what you've achieved in that 20-year span. Because one of the main reasons that I was so keen to, to get involved and help you guys wherever I could, um, well, kind of selfish because, you know, I was learning from you at the same time. So let's not forget that. But also you guys had such passion and it was clear that you were going to make some changes and drive the industry forward. And I, that's, that's always been our motivator. My family's been in optics for a hundred years and my grandfather and his brother, um, they had this, they had this view that if they could drive the industry forward, it would help their business. So they were very generous in the way that they did business. They helped other factories, they helped other people. And I know there's a tendency now to look at other people in, in your own industry or even like even closer in your own space and think that those people are competitors. And I just don't see it like that. Karen doesn't see it like that. We're inspired by my grandfather's view, which was let's just let's just help everybody move forward and it's gonna help us all. So yeah, and and the passion the passion stems from that. I love eyewear. I love seeing things change. And even I've been doing this for thirty years this year and every day I wake up and there's like there's something new going on and we're trying to we're trying to make some changes. We're trying to make people feel excited about eyewear just like you are. Cool. Well, uh, thank you for doing what you do, and thank you again for uh, helping us out so much in the in the early days. Um, 
I was just listening to an interview earlier today with uh, someone who was talking about he worked with high level CEOs and coaches. Um, and he did it. He did a, a bit of a study where he chatted with CEOs that had retired and asked them, like, what are they most proud about? And he said the theme that kept coming up over and over was not about how much money they made or, you know, the status they had. It was all what they talked about over and over was the people they helped along the way, whether that was, you know, people on their team or people in their industry or the end users. So um, so I think that's a really important point to kind of echo what you've said as well. And it's just a good way to approach your work, whether you're running, uh, you know, a, a big eyewear brand or whether you're running a small independent store. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, completely on the same page with you there. Can you just give us a little bit of your background, Jason, in terms of, I think you had a, a, a bit of a sales and marketing background originally. And then at some point, I guess you took the leap, got the entrepreneurial spirit, you know, to do your own thing. How did that come about? I'm not sure if it was a leap or a push. <laughs> yeah. It, so, um, so my, as, as I said, my family's been optics for a hundred years and my dad was an optician in a place called Chalfonts and Giles. And he had a, a, a very nice, like, community conservative practice. And so I used to see that, and I was really not interested at all in that. I, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I was working for L'Oreal doing sales and marketing at the time. And my dad asked me and Karen to to pop over and help him clear out the practice. And he said, oh, there'll be some boxes around. If you find the thing you like, you can keep them and whatever. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Not expecting what I found. And I, and I opened this one box, and there were these beautiful 1950s and 60s glasses that my grandfather had designed and I was like what are these and dad said oh it's just some stuff that your grandfather made like if you like them and I was like okay so I took a week off work and I went up to London with a little Hitachi case full of samples original frames and I went to see all the big designers of the day and I had no idea who they were so it was people like Helen Story and Nick Coleman who were like the big names around Carnaby Street and Soho and I would walk up rock up the door bang on the door and just go, hi, is Helen there, please? And someone would go, yeah, she's downstairs. And I'd sit downstairs with these great fashion stars, not having any idea what was going on. And they loved what we were doing. So at the end of a week, I was like, yeah, I really, I really kind of fancy this. And I went back into work in L'Oreal on the Monday, straight after that week, and they made me redundant. <laughs> it was just, it was so fortuitous. And so I used a little bit of money um, and, and we made some new glasses using old materials and we just carried on. That was 30 years ago. Um, and Karen is a, is a trained graphic designer and that was her background at the time. And she very soon kind of transitioned over to optical design, bringing her graphic design skills as well. Um, so it was a really natural and lovely marriage, quite literally a marriage, um, mm-hmm. in which she brought her design skills and I brought my optical background, having been bathed in it for, for my whole youth. Um, and, for, and it was interesting as well because I went looking around London to try and see what was going on. And London, England, has always been, with a few exceptions, uh, really, really conservative in optics. So when I went out looking, not really knowing too much about the market, I couldn't really find anything very interesting. So it felt to me that there was a huge opportunity in the market. Now, had we been in another city or had I explored further, uh, I might have found something different. But that was even before internet. So yeah. it's, it's not very long ago, yeah, but actually it's changed. That story is so common. If you look at Alan Mickley's origin or LEI Works' origin or Tao's origin, it's, that was kind of that, you know, what drove a lot of people to, to get us to where we are today, which is, which is nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and was there any, any part of you that thought I should take over my dad's practice or was it, were you, you know, was it 
were you excited by the design element? Was there any, any decision there for you? Yeah, I was never really that interested in the scientific side of it. I've got huge respect for, for the optical side of it, and I would never um, demean or play down in any way the importance of, of the optical medical side. But for me, it was about it's about emotion. It's about how people feel when they put on a pair of glasses and how people feel towards eyewear. Uh, that's always been my driving force, and I love it. <laughs> like I just, I just really, really enjoy it. Yeah. So, so let's talk about eyewear philosophy. I, so I tell our members all the time, you need to have an eyewear philosophy. And so many people, like you need to know what you believe about eyewear. What's your approach to eyewear? What? And it, it's always come across that that's very clear in your mind. You've got your strong beliefs that this is this is how I feel about eyewear, and that's very attractive to people. But so many practice owners miss a huge opportunity because they just think it's, it's just an extra thing. It's just the glasses, you know? Um, but you need to, I think that passion part in part comes from having a, a philosophy, even just you're looking at Kirk and Kirk's website. One of the first things that jumps out from the copy there is just frames, no labels. So that's a big part of your philosophy. Can you kind of walk us through what is, what is your eyewear philosophy for people that maybe don't, get it independent practice owners that don't get it yet or maybe they think well surely we need luxotica surely we need brands that people know well okay so i mean that's a, a big question um we've only got an hour or so so i don't know um so the most important thing for us is as i just said it's it's about emotion about how people feel about a pair of glasses so i think it's really it's very interesting that the optician, often the last thing that they think about when you ask them about their, their store, their practice, the, the last thing they talk about is frames. And for the public, the very first thing that they think about when they think about glasses is frames, generally. I mean, of course, you know, like think about getting an eye test and it, it depends on what their medical requirement is for a prescription. But generally speaking, they're thinking about how they're going to look. And you look at... Let's let's look at somewhere like Berlin, for example, where there are beautiful, beautiful practices, but the frames are really, really conservative, and there's no everything's black, tortoiseshell, crystal, and there's no passion, there's no excitement, there's no drive. And one of the things that Karen and I have worked on forever is making people feel passionate about eyewear. It's making people feel excited. Why is someone going to come into the store? And this was all this was all um, exaggerated through the pandemic. Now, I, as a consumer, was sitting at home on my sofa, not going out, thinking about eyewear. How am I going to see what's going on? And I was thinking, well, the consumers are thinking that as well. What are they going to do? Are they going to, for as long as we're locked down, are they going to stay at home and just buy a pair of tortoiseshell frames online because that's what they know? Or how are they going to find something different? And I realized that the consumer has enormous access to information right now. They can inform themselves about frames, about lenses. They don't need to come into your store because they will make a decision about which store they're going to go into long before you're in any contact with them. And that's, that's a huge important part of, of what the optician needs to do these days is to convince people that theirs is the right store for them to go to. So that's really, really important. But I was thinking, like, even when the lockdown finished, I was kind of nervous as a consumer about going out to see stores or mixing with humans. And... To get me off my sofa, I needed to see something really, really exciting. So, and in this context, we're talking about eyewear. Now, if you are looking at something relatively ordinary that, that, you know, that I would describe as ordinary in eyewear as a frame, then you don't need to go into a store to buy it, really. 
you can probably phone your optician and say, that's what I'm looking for. You've got my prescription. Can you do that? Or you might even buy it online. Um, but if you see something that's made of a material that you don't really recognize or a color that you've not really seen before, but you're attracted to it, you need to physically touch it. You need to understand what that's going to do for you when you put it on, how it's going to change, even if it appeals to you. And so we were driving people into stores. And that's part of the reason that we had huge growth through the pandemic was because it was one of those brands that you just needed to touch. So the, I'm, I'm moving away from your question. Your question was like, well, what's our philosophy? Uh, but I think it, it sort of answers it in a way. Our, our philosophy is to inspire people and excite people. And I had a, a great conversation about half an hour before we were speaking today with this guy who was saying, well, yeah, I don't, I don't really wear glasses. I'm not I'm putting it off. I'm getting older. And then he said, let's have a look at your website. And he had a look at the website and he went, oh, that's interesting. And I was like, well, you know, why don't you start with something relatively safe? You can do Midnight. It's an easy color. You can do Earth. Kind of like Tortoiseshell, but a little bit different. He went, no, 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 no. Let's have a look at that jade. And, he, and straight away, he was excited because he saw stuff that he hadn't seen before. And so if you're walking past a store or you're looking online, there needs to be a reason. You need to make people shop in a way that they would shop for, for any item of clothing or for any item of jewellery, something that would excite them. I could babble on for hours about this. And I hope I've kind of answered the question, but I think there's, there's one thing that I really feel before I stop babbling. One thing that I really feel is that I often say to people as well, you can, I can take you into a store, any store, and I can show you 50 frames that will suit you physically. But there's only one that's going to make you stand two inches taller. And it's that frame that really makes your heart beat that is your frame. You feel like you've come home. And that's our philosophy. That was a very long answer to a very short question. No, I, I love it. And, and I think a lot of the time as well, it, it's not even the words that you're saying. It's the, we can tell that you believe in and that passion is contagious. And I think that's a lesson for all of us is that's what our staff, that's what our team need to have. So they need, you can't just make it up and say it. You kind of need to believe it. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think developing that passion in your team, there's nothing, I, I kind of use the analogy. It's like if you went to, you know, the outdoor store to find some hiking gear and you're being served by a person that says, oh, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really an outdoor person. I hate the outdoors. You know, that's not helpful. No. You want, and if you go to the Apple store and the person's like, oh, I don't really like Apple. I use Samsung. Like, no, that doesn't work. But right. all the time you've got opticians trying to sell glasses and they don't even wear a pair themselves to get excited yeah. about it. So, so I'm going to, I'm going gonna- to, um, hijack the conversation a little bit because it, one of the things that I think happens as well is opticians try and spread their net with frames really wide and it's like oh you know let's just have like first of all look in the store and see how many frames actually do the same thing like you might have like let's say 300 frames on display but like 30 of them are little tortoiseshell pantos and it's like there's no point use each, each inch that you have in your space to offer something different and exciting but I think even more than that Best opticians in the world that I'm seeing are people who take fewer brands and go deep into those brands because what retail is about right now is about it's about experience, it's about storytelling. So you need, as a retailer, because let's face it, opticians are retailers, you need to be able to tell a great story about a brand and show your passion for that brand. So we're saying what we were saying a few minutes ago, but it's actually like choose five or six brands that meet different parts of, of your audience. Not that you don't have to do it the traditional way, like age groups or genders, but find things that do 
have different appeals to different sectors of an audience to, to bring them in. Now, I hate hearing people say, oh, my audience, my audience won't like that. It's just rubbish. Create your audience. You know, give, give people something to excite them and people start coming in that weren't coming in before. Yeah. Yeah, and we find that in our, well, with our practices originally, you know, existing clients that wore boring glasses suddenly go on this, we call it an eyewear journey, where they start getting excited about eyewear and, and changing their tastes and having multiple pairs. We see it all the time with OSA members where they start working with independent brands and, and the same client base suddenly starts changing in terms of what they want because it's being present, they're being presented with something different and presented in a different way. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. And I think it really taps into, this kind of goes back to, you know, why you don't need Luxottica labeled brands, mainly because there's nothing unique about them. They're all fairly generic and made for the masses and made to not offend. Um, but one of the, I think the human needs that everybody has, whether they admit it or not, is we all want to feel like an individual. We all want to feel like it's, you know, I'm different than everybody else. In some kind of way, there's this desire to feel special, have a story to tell. And eyewear really opens up that uh, opportunity. And, and if you can you know, offer people, these are the kind of frames you probably haven't seen before. You won't find them in many places. And you can have a frame that looks great on you and you know that not half the world isn't running around in the same style. So it's, yeah. it's a huge, you know, I, I, I just can't sometimes get my head around how many practices actually miss the size of the opportunity that's there for them if they just, you know, put a little bit of effort into doing this and, and getting excited themselves. I think not enough work is done or we, or we do a lot of work around um, looking at how to reflect your personality through eyewear. And what you want to achieve. And, and this is a great way of, of getting additional sales for, for stores. Because let's just imagine that you're, um, you're in finance. And so the traditional answer is, oh, I need to wear something kind of like boring and conservative because I'm in finance. Well, actually, no. Right? I want, if I'm having a finance meeting with somebody, I want to know that they're good at their job, they're professional, they're going to do something really great for me. But I also want to know that they're interesting to work with. And you don't have to wear completely wild out there glasses like a you know covent garden jester's hat to to tell somebody you're interesting but you can do it through subtlety of color or the strength of the frame that you're wearing but the absolute art to this is finding frames that reflect your personality or reflect your mood it's nothing to do with shape face shape and all these let's lose all these traditional methods because i can tell you that half of your not you personally half of one's clients that come in and you say, oh, well, you've got a square face shape and so you ought to wear rectangular glasses. Laugh at that. It's just so old-fashioned. You know, it's done. How about asking people what they want to say about themselves when you put a pair of glasses on? And that's that's what we try and do. Yeah, and it's, it's going back to what you say about expressing yourself. We, we had an event in Malaga a few months ago and went to the Picasso Museum. It's like the difference between, like, if you look at what Picasso does, it's just whatever i do whatever i feel like it's not paint by numbers this color has to go with this color this go you know but yeah. for a lot of people they try and make eyewear fit into that kind of paint by numbers approach um so yeah i agree the passion is the the biggest the biggest element of that and you and we've talked you've mentioned a few times about stories so um i think for your brands all the way from kirk originals up to kirk and kirk you know, you're you're constantly putting your story and your personality into the brand. I know even some of your brands, you would you were careful about 
trying to communicate with the end user through little stories that goes in with the cases and things like that. So, you know, can you share a little bit about um, why you think story and personality is an important part of this? I think we're very lucky that we're one of those brands that has a genuine story and a genuine product. And I, I think that's quite rare. So we, so we lean on that, but I, people want to know everything now people, you know, if you're going to go and, if you're going to go and buy um, a new pair of shoes, you probably go online. I certainly do. And look at what's out there. Look at what the brands are. Look at what the choices are. Look at, um, you know, perhaps how, how uh, ecologically friendly they are. The things that are important to you, you have, you have your shopping list. And so it's really important to create a sense of, of magic and mystique and pleasure so that every time that that person puts on a pair of glasses, you know, at the beginning, at the beginning, they'll think about the story and the experience they had with you when you told them that story. And, you know, you're buying a pair of, of, of unique glasses that are the only people in the world that make frames out of acrylic and they've got a hundred years family history of driving the industry forward. All that stuff's great. And for the first few weeks, the consumer will think about that when they put their glasses on. But after, after a while, it just becomes innate. It just becomes something that's there in their brain. And they get out there and, and they'll do your advertising for you. You know, they'll tell that story. Somebody comes up to them and says, oh, your glasses are nice. And they'll go, oh, yeah, I got it from that optician around the corner there. And this is what happened. And this is where they're from. And this is the history. It, it's all about making people feel warm and fuzzy and, and excited about every little aspect of their lives. Nobody wants to buy anything that they don't. Transa- how, how can I express this? Transactions are so much more than they used to be. The transactions, the kind of money side of what you pay for something is so irrelevant and so small in the transaction now the emotion is so much more important so there's that's for me why stories are there yeah and i think it's it's almost i've heard it described as marketing by values and you have some of that on your website as well as looking earlier so just to give you a little snippet who we are we know what it means to be an outlier we don't chase trends we don't seek industry approval we simply make distinctive eyewear for you to express who you really are so for those who challenge the norms who won't be constrained, boxed in, or tamed. Those who are born to be different. So you're not you're not just going on about product. You're talking about this is what we believe. This is who we are. These are our values, and that's really really attractive to somebody that thinks, oh, I'm a bit like that. So that's yeah. that's the brand for me. It, it's yeah. I mean, it, of course, it is about the product. It's important for us to to present product which meets the customer's needs. But it's more, it's more about the patient, the client, the customer, whatever you want to call them, the consumer. It's more about listening to what it is that is going to excite them. And you don't necess- they don't necessarily know because they haven't necessarily had access to this kind of eyewear before. But they know in their heart what they want. They know, they know what they want to feel when they put a pair of glasses on. They know that they want to see and they want the functionality of that. But they also know what they want to feel. They want to, they want to feel confident and comfortable. Uh, and excited. Now, our audience, our audience is is um, took us a long time to hit this, but there are a lot of people that buy glasses to hide behind the label, and there are also people at the other end of the spectrum who buy really wacky glasses because they want to say, "Look at me, look at me, I'm really interesting." And there are people in the middle who are very comfortable with who they are, and so from that point, because they know who they are and they're comfortable with it. They can put on a pair of glasses and feel that that's right for them. That's our sweet spot. So you will see, I mean, if you look on our website, you look on our Instagram, you'll see people wearing tiger glasses or bright orange glasses. And you just, 
I mean, I'm always struck by how natural it is for those people if they get the frame choice right. There's a brilliant guy. Um, I can't remember where he's from, but he's kind of like he's like really rugged and masculine, and he, you know, he looks like you wouldn't want to meet him on a on a dark night in an alley. And he's wearing a pair of pink glasses, and he looks amazing, and it just looks natural on him. It just looks really, really natural. And I, and, and I love that. It's my that's my favourite picture of, of all the years we've been doing Instagram. Cool. Very good. Um, well, so to talk a little bit about your brand, actually, I'll give you one little snippet just for those guys listening about stories as well. The simplest story that we tell over and over again is we travel the world to find the best eyewear. We go to Paris, we go to Milan, and that's an exciting story for people to be able to say, oh, right, so these are really, and it, there's this whole effect of imagery of what it must be like in Paris and Milan and where yeah. we've planned our trip, the team are going to Silmo coming up in September, and uh, they're talking about it every day to clients. Oh yeah, we're going, and you know, it's that those kind of stories are there for the, you know, to. It's not like you need to have. You can't if you're listening to this thinking, well, there's not really anything interesting about us. It's, the, it's about your philosophy and those stories that um, really uh, fit in beautifully well with that. Um, so tell us a little bit about Kirk and Kirk in terms of what what differentiates your brand, what kind of practices do well with it? Because obviously I know you have seen a lot of growth in the last year or two um, in terms of who you're working with, but yeah. any any kind of insights there? What kind of practices do well? I, I think um, practices who, who listen and understand it want to differentiate themselves. So for example, we would never... Um, we would never sell to more than one or two places in a, in a city, even like, you know, a relatively large city. We'd never sell in a lot of places. And that allows each optician to go deep into the brand and to tell a full story. And if you as a consumer want to find Kirk and Kirk, you go to that particular store because you know that's where it's going to be. So the optician needs to be passionate about it. They need to understand it and, and listen to it and communicate the story. It's always independent stores. It's never groups or chains. Um, and it's varied as well. I mean, it's, it's beautiful stores like yours, but it, but sometimes the stores are, they don't need to be necessarily the most forward in, in store design, but what they need to do is to understand how to present a brand and, and present a story. And they and also, they need to have the drive to move forward. You know, I'm, I sadly, I'm getting a little bit older and I haven't got the patience with people who are just like, well... You know, this is what we've always done. You're not going anywhere. Not only are you not going anywhere in that situation, but if you don't drive forward, you're going to be left behind because the world is changing very, very quickly. Um, and our approach to to um, talking to the consumer, because you talked about that before, and I think it's really important for us to communicate to the consumer and drive them into the optical store. You know, we, If we give them enough excitement, they're going to seek out who our retailers are and go and find out. And it says a lot about a store if they're carrying a brand like Kirk & Kirk or like Teo or any Valentine. It says a lot about those stores. It's, you know, it, it, it says exactly what you said. Is you've gone all over the world to find the best brands, and here they are. And we're doing it with confidence. And so, so we, look for, we look for stores who know how to communicate that and who work closely with us. And the other thing is, is a, a balance in the relationship. That's really important too. So... We genuinely are looking at stores and saying, well, you know, what is going to help you take your business forward? Can we contribute to that? And so it's a dialogue. It's a dialogue about um, 
whether we have something to offer. It might not even be directly through us. I mean, I'll go I'll have a chat with a with a, an optician or with a manager, and they'll say, "Look, this is you know, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for other brands that do this, that, and the other, and I make recommendations of other brands. I don't really care. I just want to see everything moving forward because our yeah. industry is under threat. You know, if 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 we're not careful, we can't sit around being complacent. You know, there's so many good operators. There are great operators on the internet. There are great operators doing. Um, which is effectively chain stores, but that present themselves like young, trendy, independent stores, and they're not. But we need to know how to communicate the difference between what we offer and what they offer. And when you're trained as, a, as an optician, you're generally not given the tools to be, or you're not trained to be commercial, you're not trained to run a business, you're trained to be medical, sciencey. Um, and so everything that we can all do together to learn and help and move forward and and give ourselves a good chance against the competition because there's, there's room for everybody as well. I'm not saying there shouldn't be those stores. There's room for everyone, but we need to work together to make sure that the independent sector can survive and flourish. And now a word from our sponsor. Hi, Connor Heaney here. In 2017, after feeling frustrated and underappreciated by our previous lens supplier, my practice started working with Seiko as our primary lens company. And we haven't looked back. The Seiko team are a joy to work with. They are extremely helpful and flexible to our needs, which means we can provide far better service to our clients at Jones & Co Styling Opticians. Our patients are delighted with the quality of vision they get from their Seiko lenses, and for over four years now, it's been an excellent and profitable partnership with Seiko for my practice. I can't recommend them highly enough. To receive a Seiko information pack, including a special lens offer for podcast listeners, send an email to info uk at seikovision.com with the subject podcast find out how seiko can help your practice the same way they help mine send an email to info uk at seikovision.com with the subject podcast i was in london um, a couple weeks ago on a rare break with my wife where there were no kids involved. So we had some time to just wander around. We were wandering uh, down King's Road, um, just doing a bit of shopping, getting some lunch. And Catherine, she's not in my business at all, but she saw, I think, is it Jimmy Fairley? Is that one of those brands? Yeah. yeah. Um, so she saw, oh, that, that looks like a really nice optician. It looks fun. And I'm like, I'm like uh, it's, 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 it's not. You're not supposed to like that. But she's like, well, it looks much better than that one and that one. And and that's how the consumer, the uneducated consumer think that looks fun. Let me go in there. So yeah. it's like if we're an independent where we're actually offering a higher level of expertise, a higher level of service. Um, we've got so much in terms of personal service. We've got so much more we can do in terms of with these other brands. But if these brands are coming out with the cool looking shops and the, the friendly approach and the design and the Warby Parker with their beautiful stores and their low prices. Yeah. It, you know, we, we can't just rest in our laurels. We need to be we can't on our game. Yeah, we can't. And, and let's, you know, let's talk about Jimmy Fairley because um, I'm going to talk about them really positively because it doesn't really matter. What your wife saw was what any consumer sees. I mean, it looks great. It looks funky. The glasses look good. They look like they're well-made to the, to the untrained eye. Um, and they probably are well-made. I would be careful what I say. Um, but the experience of going in the store is fun. It's enjoyable. And it's like, well, okay, well, it's a lot cheaper than the other store that I saw around the corner. So, yeah, I'll buy a pair of glasses there. We need to be able to communicate the difference between 
a cheap pair of lenses and a, and a more expensive pair of lenses. A mass-produced frame and a handmade frame that's that's made in Europe and costs so much more than a frame that's made in, in Asia. But the other thing is as well, right, we as a consumer, if I go to a dentist, I expect the dentist to know what they're talking about. I take it for granted that they know their profession, they know the medical side of it. I take it for granted that I'm going to get good service wherever I go. And so... For an optician to, to say, well, you know, if you come to see us, you'll get better service. If you come to see us, you'll get a better medical a medical eye test. The consumer assumes it. So that leaves other areas where we have to fill in the gaps and make sure that the consumer sees the things that the things that Jimmy Fairley can't compete with, the product that they can't compete with, the design. You know, they've got great design. Let's look at our shops. Let's look at all of our shops and go, does this really look like a funky, great place where I want to go and spend a thousand pounds? Stand outside your shop and look inside and go, am I going to spend a thousand pounds in there? Well, you know, if the answer is yes, then congratulations. That's great. You're doing a good job. And if the answer is no, you've got to ask yourself how you're going to compete in this marketplace. Because I can tell you that Jimmy Fairley and Ace and Tate and Walter Parker and all those people are very, very good at what they do. They're brilliant at marketing. They're out there communicating with everybody. They're building lists. You go in there, they, all of the staff are trained how to greet you, how to talk to you, how to take you on a journey, how to tell you a story and make you feel comfortable with what they're doing. So if you're not doing all of those things, we have to be entirely 360, entirely. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know Stuart Jones, who was the previous owner before I took over Jones & Co. I do. Um, but he used to... You do? Okay. So he used one of his little sayings was... It's like the optometrist. He wasn't an optometrist, obviously, but he was saying it's like the optometrist. It's like you're flying on an airplane. The optometrist is the pilot. Nobody gives it. You kind of assume the pilot's qualified to get you there, but you don't really care about that. You kind of care about, you know, were the cabin staff friendly? Did they get me through on time? Was the food good? You know, yes. was it on time? Um, so it's, it's kind of just getting in tune with what the clients. It doesn't take anything away from, yes, it's important that the pilot can get us there without killing anybody, but that's not the differentiator. So, um, it's really not. So, and, I, and I think it's then, if, if you're understanding the market we're in, and you think, okay, how can we compete? You're back to step one, which is, okay, we need to get passionate about this. So we need to go to trade fairs. We need to meet the people behind the brands. We need to get some stories from yeah. our travels, and we need, to explo- we need to at least be as enthusiastic about eyewear as our customers are. Yep. And they come in excited just after a little bit of Googling. They can get themselves excited. Yep. So, um, so yeah, it, it kind of comes full circle back to, to what we were talking about. Do you see any differences? Obviously, in your position, you're working with how many different countries is it now that Kurt and Kurt are in? 40, 42, 43. Okay, so a lots few. of different markets. Do you see any any difference, any big differences in, in markets even between the U.S. and, and, and Europe? today or is that all kind of normalizing a little bit no it's it's changing and um in the in the 30 years that i've been doing this the the market has really changed so america used to be very conservative very difficult really small potential for independent stores now there are great stores in in even small towns and more than one so you, you see people investing in in every aspect of their business yeah there are places the uk's really moved on and it's getting it's getting uh, more and more competitive. We've got nearly 100 stores in the UK now that we sell to. 
um, without them treading on each other's toes, which is a fantastic. And if you'd have asked me five years ago, I'd have said, no, that's not going to happen. That's not, that's not possible. So you see things changing. You, you see things moving. And I think that um, like what you do, getting people together to, to share business experience and to learn from each other, um, I think that's really, really important because not, there's not necessarily one person with the answers here. You know, it's, it's a constant learning process and a constant evolution. We've all got to share. Because what happens in Bristol is going to be great for a while, but might not be happening in Sheffield. And so you share the experience and you know what's going to happen. I mean, what do you do when somebody comes in? This is an old question, but somebody comes into your store and they start looking at products and they get their phone out and they start comparing products. You know, like little things like that. Well, there are great techniques for dealing with that and sharing that. But if you're not sharing with other people and you're just living in your own little world, that's that's not going to help. Yeah. Um, and what would you say to someone that's maybe listening to this thinking, okay, yeah, I have, I have neglected the optical side of my business. I do want to make a start and start going in this direction, but there's kind of, there's kind of probably two parts of it. The owner themselves needs to get excited, but then it's, it's not going to work unless the team, the people on the front line are enthused as well. So any tips that you would give to our audience about, you know, how do you, how do you create that enthusiasm for people that they've been working with traditional frames and traditional approaches and it's, they just view it as it's just a pair of glasses. How do we, you know, how, what would well, we advise the them to get going with that? Yeah, I think the excitement is natural. I think once you start showing people frames that are enjoyable to wear and make you feel special, make you feel different, um, they're more excited about selling them. You know, they, 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 the, the first frame that somebody wants to show when somebody comes into, into the store is the most exciting and beautiful frame, something that, that people love selling. Um, and once you get that passion across to your audience, they're much happier to spend £400 on a pair of glasses and £400 on a, a pair of set of lenses. You know, if, you, if you're like, yeah, try this one on, that'll fit you, that'll suit you, look in the mirror, yeah, you've got a round face. It, you know, it's, there's no passion. There's no excitement there. So involve people, make them stakeholders and involve them in the decisions, sit around as a, as a group, as a company, uh, and say, right, let's just, let's completely review what we offer to the public, what brands we offer to the public. If you could choose three brands, what would they be? If you've got five people in your store, for example, and everybody chooses three brands and there might be some crossover and then you all delve deeper into those brands together. People are invested. They're emotionally invested in the decision. If you start imposing brands on your team, um, it's less it's less engaging. It's, it, it, they're less invested themselves. So involve people. I mean, if you can take them to shows, I think that's a really good thing to do and a really good way to to meet people and excite people. But you know, I see some. I see some. The best stores that I see, I have the same relationship with the owners as I do with the, the sales team. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll have as many conversations with those people, and, and I think that's that's one of the most important things: getting everybody involved. Yeah, um, yeah, and you know, trade fairs for us have been a huge part of that journey. In the early years, it was me and Tarek that would go. Then we started taking our team. Now we're at the point where my team will go more than I. They go to more shows than I go to. But I remember the first show we took them to. We were already working with your types of brands and had been doing well with it, but they'd never been to the shows. And when they came back, even though we didn't order anything new at that particular show, 
they were like, I get it now. I can see how what we do fits into everything that's out there. And actually, I, I now believe in our brands more because I've, I've seen what's out there. Um, so, yeah, I, I would concur that definitely taking people to shows. Um, a resource that we have for you guys that's on the, the web page for this podcast, which is theopticalentrepreneur.com. Um, I wrote a book for Jones & Co. called The Definitive Guide to Choosing Glasses. This is what we give to our clients at Jones & Co. And it's really just outlining our philosophy. But what it really talks about is, because I'm not, you know, you can't see me, we're not on video here, but I'm not Mr. Colourful, Passionate, Make a Statement. I'm kind of, yeah, I want to be a little bit different, but just a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, don't, I haven't come to this from a fashion, super stylish kind of, interest point i've come from it as this kind of i just want to help people i want to provide the best service do the best job we can do and for me early on in my career being an optometrist with no kind of training about eyewear really what was clear to me is everybody hates well not everybody a lot of people hate choosing glasses they're frustrated they have to wear it they don't know what suits them they don't know what fits them they all look the same they're racks and racks and racks, and I get, you know, it's stressful choosing them. And, you know, if, if I'm a lady and I'm petite, the last place told me to go and look at the kids' glasses. If I'm a guy with a big head, no one can show me any glasses that fit my head. You've got all these frustrations, and there's so much pain in the world around glasses that if you can take that and tell someone, yeah, that's no problem, that's normal, we can show you glasses that will make you look good and feel good, then you've instantly won them over and uh, completely changed how they feel about their eyewear. It goes from a negative to being now a positive because I look great. I get compliments. It was enjoyable. You made it easy by showing me I don't need to worry about, you know, 3,000 frames. You've given me plenty of choice of the ones that are going to work really well for me. And and that, that's kind of why I approach it. It's kind of quite a logical way of what are the problems that everybody has with glasses and how can we solve it? And part of it is we want to make it fun. And off we go. So if there's any, you know, optometrists out there thinking, I'm not really into fashion, I think, you know, if you have someone in your team that has that flair and that creativity and let them let them go with that, you just direct from, from the top. Um, what, what, would you agree with that, Jason? Or? I would agree with that. But at the same time, I think it's also important to lead from the front and to wear something that, that um, it doesn't have to be wild. I mean, you know, what you're saying about yourself, the way you're describing yourself um, you can wear something that is just slightly different, but just slightly different in a way that it, it shows your customers when they, when they walk through the door, when they talk to you, that you're the, you're the right person to advise them on what to wear because you're reflecting who you are. And so, you know, it would be wrong to put you in a pair of bright red glasses from what you've described. Um, it doesn't really matter whether people can see you or not. I do, I do a really lovely um, the equivalent of, the optical soaring of the lady in half. So I do this great thing when I go to trunk shows and I'll take somebody, get them to close their eyes and try on three different frames so they don't see what frames are trying on. And the audience writes down which frame suits them the most. And with their eyes closed, just by kind of emotion, feel, they have to say which frame they like the most as well. And invariably, they choose the same frame as the audience frames, as the audience sees looking at them because they, there's a, a feel for what is right. And it's that, the, the, the fun of doing that, the magic, the mystique of doing that is brilliant. People come away with a totally different experience. I'm amazed how many people are really passionate and into eyewear that aren't directly involved with the industry. 
so we did a couple of talks a few weeks ago up in in london um to kind of like business community and there was a huge variation of people that were there people that were interested in our business you know fair enough but people that are just interested in eyewear and interested in the eyewear industry and and asking questions like why is it so behind i mean when you st- people start asking you those kind of questions you think uh, okay so that's what it looks like from the outside it's very hard to see from the outside what's going on but you think about it i mean you know i said stand outside your shop and have a look and see if you want to spend a thousand pounds in that environment well you've got another shop window which is your social media like look at that website that you've got and have a look and see if it's something that inspires you to spend a thousand pounds and it's a really valid question um because people are drawing an impression about your store and about your presentation from your whole social media and, and this is the same question that you're asking about presentation, about about you, about whether you should give it to somebody else. Your Instagram account, you know, how many times do I hear opticians say, oh, yeah, Instagram's not for me. I'm going to find some 12-year-old to do it for me. Your Instagram account says so much about you, you know, and it doesn't really matter what you feel about it. You have to do it now or you're not going to attract those people that want to spend money on glasses. You've got to give people the desire and the excitement to want to spend money Otherwise, they're just going to go and find a cheap solution. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really great answer. And that kind of leads into marketing and social media being just another part of your shop shop window. Um, yeah. And I think, and I th- again, everything's connected. It's like, you know, marketing only works if it's based on authenticity, which starts from we have to be doing something special in our practice. We have to have passionate people in there. Now we've got something to talk about. And, you know, it all it all kind of nicely flows into one another um you mentioned live events i i remember in paris so again we it wouldn't have been 2004 might have been a year or two after that you kindly invited us to i think kirk originals at the time i think it must have been kirk originals was doing a a a trunk show one evening in selmo i think it was one of it was a cool little boutique practice um so it was was really nice pardon it was Opticien de l'Ombre. Okay, I remember. excellent. I so remember you've obviously well. got a, a good memory. Um, but, you know, that was ex- even though I was an optician, I was, I, that was probably the first trunk show I'd ever been to, and it was exciting, and, you know, there was music and drinks and nibbles, and, um, and that's a big part. Like, we probably do four or five trunk shows a year, and we encourage our members to do it, and, you know, don't just do a boring trunk show, making it exciting. How important is that kind of stuff, do you think, for independence to be able to differentiate themselves you know live events you know that party atmosphere doing those types of things hugely important because you you make yourself part of a community whether it's just like your local community or whether it's the optical community or the community of people that are passionate about clothing or fashion whatever it is i just did a trunk show in jamaica someone's got to do it but i did a trunk show in jamaica and we did a three-day show and we sold 56 frames now just when you ask the question, how important is it to do it, um, just in terms of revenue alone, if you've got the right brand in there that fits well with your audience that you have or audience that you want to have, you can have a really successful, productive trunk show. Um, but the other thing that's really important as well is that you need to market that trunk show. You need to phone all your clients. Um, you need to put it out on social media, perhaps even do some local advertising. The more that you put into it as an optician, the more that you will get out of it as an optician. And I can't speak for other brands. I know that we work really, really hard. We, we create 
um, social media content for people to use to promote their, their trunk shows. We put a lot of effort into helping people, but you need to work really hard as well and not just rely on the brand. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you quickly learn in marketing as well, is if, if you think, oh, yeah, I want 50 people there, so I'll send out 70 invites. You know, that's a recipe for getting five people there. <laughs> so, yeah, you always need to do more Absolutely. than you think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you mentioned talking about live events and things like that. On the team side, you were in New York uh, on a team retreat last week. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. you know, why you do that stuff and what's your thoughts around building your team and investing and you know, what are you trying to do there? Um, well, we're trying to galvanize the team, certainly. And team building is really, really important and to have everybody emotionally invested in, in what they're doing. Um, what we did was we flew to a uh, house in upstate New York. We brought all our reps, American reps, Canadian reps together um, and our office, US office staff, because we are an office in Minneapolis. And we just brought everybody together and shared ideas, um, shared experiences, um, shared things that people felt we could do better and learned from it and came away from it. Everybody um, was extremely excited about the opportunity that's ahead. I mean, we've had two years of not being able to travel into the US. So that was the first time that, that I'm, I've actually been a couple of times since I think it was February when it opened up. But that was the first time that we had the opportunity to get everyone together. And it's it's important. Most of my team is working from home right now in various different places, even if we do have an office and they have a choice. Uh, and so we don't get to see each other all that often. But it's a bunch of unique people who have a commonality. I mean, they, they share a passion for eyewear, but they're just interesting people. They kind of reflect our audience. They're all really exciting. We did, we did one, an event where we got the whole world team together, which was, it was about 30 people uh, in Brighton just before the lockdown. And we got everyone to do a five minute presentation. And the presentation was tell us something that we don't know about you. And you just discover all these incredible qualities, interests that people have. Everybody's interesting. If you sit and talk to somebody, I'm like, Karen goes nuts, I'll talk to somebody and just a stranger in a lift or something. Everybody's interesting. Everybody's got something to tell, a story, something to share, something to to inspire you, me. Um, so, you know, when we started getting people to do presentations and they were doing things like, well, I was third in the national championships of uh, Bronco riding. It's like, what? You're, you're a mm-hmm. sales rep, you're an eyewear rep. But you discover all this stuff. Now, the guy who's seen a band called Fish, I've never heard of, seen them 38 times. I mean, these people are really passionate about something. And, and you can you can take somebody's um, passion for something else and translate it into a work environment or a, a shared interest. So, yeah, sorry, lo- another long answer. Getting together is is really important. And uh, we gave people a chance to, to air their views positively and negatively about everything that we were doing. Um, and we grew so much in the three days that we were together. It was brilliant. Yeah. Well, and before we were talking again, you were mentioning how last time you were in Manchester, you popped in to Jones & Co. And I, I wasn't there. Surprise, surprise. But the team, yeah. you, you complimented me on the team, kind of making you feel welcome and looking after you well. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I couldn't do what I do without my team. You couldn't do what you do without your team. And I think... Again, that's a big learning point for anyone listening is your team are your biggest assets. So you need to in, invest in 
that relationship and doing anything just to keep that excitement and enthusiasm alive and getting your vision and your ideas out of your head into the teams where they take ownership of it. And yeah, those retreat days, trade shows, all that kind of stuff adds up. Yeah, just going out for the occasion. Um, yeah. We, yeah, it's a different challenge. It's a different challenge as well now because people are working from home. Well, it's certainly in, in what we do, a lot of people are working from home. So we have to find times to bring people together at certain times and go for a random meal just because. And that kind of stuff is great. And it makes people makes people feel part of, of their commercial optical family. Definitely. Um, okay, so just conscious of your time as well, Jason. So one last question. Um, you're, I don't know how you do it, but you've always seemed to be like the, the master of PR and that you're constantly getting coverage everywhere, all newspapers, you know, really? you're just everywhere. Um, yeah, well, I, from the, I think I, you know, even going back to 20 years ago, I would read about your brand in, even just in like the Optician magazine when there weren't really any other brands doing what you were doing out there. And you've always, I think, been effective at doing that. Have you got any tips for PR and, uh, you know, handling that from an independent practice, you know, where we're a local store, you know, what, what advice would you have for people? Um, hmm, good question. I would say do something interesting. Like if, if you're just another optician with just the same products, think about, think about what people want to hear about, what they want to learn. The, the, the subjects that are important to people at a particular time that are in the general media. So for example, right now, um, people are talking about cost of living crisis, for example. Well, that relates to optics. People are talking about, you know, fuel prices going up that relates to optics. And, I think it's it's something that um, opticians often feel kind of isolated on the high street. They don't necessarily feel like they fit in with the rest of the, the store groupings. So I think giving giving relevance to what you're doing and excitement and giving giving a journalist a reason a reason to think you're worth writing about and that their audience is gonna is gonna think about it. I mean, we we're very lucky that the, that the product that we have is very media friendly. Um, the, what it's you know the fact that they're made from acrylic and they're the only glasses that are made from acrylic, or or that we have unique colours that that nobody else has, so it makes for a very media friendly product. Um, but we we work really hard at that as well. There's no there's no shortcut. Um, everything else that that uh, creates interest, uh, it's all worked on. It's not it doesn't just happen. Yeah, and I think that that you know that's a big success lesson. Like even. So at Jones & Co. today, our average dispense value is, I think it was around £1,500 last month. Um, you know, on, on average, well, about 40% of people are buying more than one pair. So that's how we get to that kind of dispense value. But it's because I've been thinking about the eyewear opportunity and doing the best possible job for like 20 years. Um, yeah. you, you know, your brand is what it is because you've been obsessed with it for for years and years and years and you yeah, work hard at it and that's the thing for anyone listening with eyewear if you want to do it well it's not just okay let's have a team meeting order a few frames and off we go you need to constantly you need to make a part of the identity of your company and the purpose of it and keeping that alive kind of week after week month after month so tomorrow uh i so we've just come back from this trip in in new york and even after 30 years, we have a very clear direction. We always have, we always have a very clear working document, business plan, etc. But 
Um, we're getting our, our key stakeholders together and we're having a strategy meeting for how the brand is going to evolve over the next two years. You've got to keep working on it. You've got to keep changing it. We're opening pop-up stores and we've got a pop-up store in London because we want to um, raise the visibility of, of Kirk & Kirk, but also to show retailers, other opticians, the possibilities, the things that you might do with if, if you carry a certain brand or the way that you might present your store entirely, just to kind of change it up and think about it because we... We need to get the consumers to say, right, I fancy going to an optician today. Well, I'm not sure I've ever heard anybody say that. So we need to we need to get that happening. We, we shouldn't target any lower than that. So we're constantly reviewing um, how we move forward and, and, and how we can excite people. And I think there's no there's no kind of there's no end line. There's no finish line for that. You just have to keep going. Um, and I have to say, when I, yeah. when I went to Jones and Co, it was a it was a really great experience. And from the way that I felt. Uh, just going in there, and, I, and as far as they were concerned, I was just a, a consumer. Um, and their excitement in being part of your environment came across as well. And it, it was brilliant. It was really, really good. And that's what every optician needs to have. Well, thank you for saying that. And, uh, yeah, congratulations on all your success and growth with Kirk & Kirk. And uh, really appreciate you taking the time to do this for us, Jason. Uh, is there anywhere you would send our listeners to learn more about Kirk & Kirk or you and keeping pace with what you guys are up to, where would you send them to? Uh, I think kirkandkirk.com is a good place to start, but have a look at our Instagram as well. We've got 26,000 followers on Instagram who are very uh, interactive with us. We try and, you know, as we grow, um, we try and stay very accessible, uh, very familiar as well. Um, so yeah, start at, start at the website. And if people have questions, um, we're really, we're really keen to get involved and to listen to people and to help people where we can. So please don't be shy. Um, yeah, kirkandkirk.com. Great. Well, thank you again. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I've had fun. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on. You've been listening to another episode of The Optical Entrepreneur. If you've enjoyed today's program, please share us with a friend. Visit theopticalentrepreneur.com where you can get additional free resources to help you and your team build a better business. If you're serious about taking your practice to the next level, consider signing up for Optical Success Academy membership and the Look Over My Shoulder marketing program, which you can find out more about at theopticalentrepreneur.com. Thanks for listening. Make it a great month, and I'll see you right here next time on The Optical Entrepreneur.